0: The following message is from King's Cross Church in Manchester, New Hampshire. For more information, please visit us at kingscrossmanchester.com. We're going to turn to God's Word together. Um, we are in the book of Genesis, so that's, if you're not familiar with the Bible, that's the first book in the whole thing. Um, it's called Genesis, and we talk about things being the genesis of a new thing because Genesis is at the very front of the Bible. So that's where we're going to be at. The big numbers are the chapters, the little numbers are the verses, We are in chapter 10 of Genesis, and we're just going to read the whole chapter. I'm going to read this up front for us uh, because it is one of those chapters in the Bible that is a bit of a phone book of a bunch of names. And so we're going to read this, we're going to pray for God's help, and then we're going to actually see that this phone book has a lot to teach us about um, God's heart for humanity. So I am going to pick up here verse 1 and read all the way to the end, Genesis chapter 10. These are the generations of the sons of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Sons were born to them after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Mesh, uh, Meshesh, and Tyrus. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Rephath, Rephath and Tigermath. The sons of Javan, Elijah, Tershish, uh, Tarshish, Kittim, and Donaden. These are the coastline people spread in their lands, each with their own language, by their clans and their nations. So if you guys are like, going to peg me on how I'm pronouncing, um, I'm just going to plead plead your patience with me on how these names get pronounced yeah, well, they're, they're written in Hebrew, and then you're translating them into English, and what I don't speak Hebrew, so, you know. The sons of Ham, Cush, Egypt, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Saban, um, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah, Sabtica. The sons of Ramoth, Sheba, and Danan. Cush fathered Nimrod, the first on the earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore, it says, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. The beginning of his kingdom was uh, Babel, Erech, Um, Kelna, and the land of Shim, Shinar. Just so you know, there are 70 nations that I'm reading right now. I just feel like I should be getting like a prize at the end of this. From the land that he went into Assyria and built Nineveh, um, Ramadothir, Kawa, the resident, between Nineveh and Kawa and the great city, Egypt fathered Ludin, Anin Animan Leah Ben, Uh Neph <laughs> Nephtumil uh, Pethrashim uh, I promise I read this multiple times this week. Um him from whom the palace the Philistines came and Capor Caporchem. Alright, we're halfway there. Canaan fathered Sidon uh, his firstborn of Heth and f- and from the Jebusites, the Amorites, the Girgashites, the Havites, the Arkites, the Sinites, the Arvidites, the Zemorites, the ha- Hamathites, after the word, the clans of the Canaanites dispersed. And the territory of the Canaanites extended from Sidon to the direction of Gerar, from, the, uh, from as far as Gaza and the direction of so- Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Ze- Zeboim, as far as Lash, for they for these are the sons of ham and their clans and their languages their land and their nations to shem also the father of the children of ebar all, i'm sorry to shem also the father of all the children of eber the elder brother of Jepheth, children were born the sons of shem elam asher aprach atchad lud aram and the sons of Aram: Uz, Hol, Gather, Mesh. I just remind you this is a. You're not. Pay- okay, thank you. You're you're not paying for this. This is free. Uh, <laughs> um, um, Aprashad, father of Shelah. Shelah, father of Eber. Eber was born two sons. The name of the one was Peleg, for in his days the earth was divided, and his brother's uh, name was Joktan. Joktan fathered um, Alondad, Shalif, Hezramet, Meth, Jera, Haduram Azul, Dikla, Obal, Obamiel, Sheba, Afir, Hebalah, Ho- Jobab. All of these were the sons of Joktan. The territory in which they live extended from Mash, Mesha in the direction of Sh- Shafar, Shafar, to the hill country of the east, these are the sons of Shem: their clans, their languages, their land, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah, according to their generations, in their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. Thank you. <laughs> just remind you that was <laughs> freely provided. <laughs> so, not to—I I say that to say, like, I'm not laughing at the way it's written. It's just it is not easy to read all those in front of everybody so next time you do a public speaking engagement just think at least you're not reading the nations of genesis 10. let's pray and ask for god's help god as we read about these 72 nations that you oversaw and loved and placed your people among would you help us to see your heart for the nations and your heart for all people to be in one kingdom we pray all this so that jesus our king would be famous in his name we pray amen so apart from the phone book that we just read we have been preaching through the book of genesis and looking at how god is setting up the world genesis is all about kind of like the backdrop set of the whole world and it sets up the whole scheme of what he's doing through the rest of the bible to to live among his people for his people to enjoy him And it explains how sin has come in, sin and death have come in and fractured this whole thing that God set up. So when we get to Genesis 10, I know we can kind of laugh about like this, we get this whole phone book list of things and names and all that stuff, but just to kind of pick up where we left off, we've been away from Genesis for a few weeks. Genesis 1 and 2 and 3 set up this whole scheme of how God made the world good and wonderful and he likes it and he made You know, things that smell good and look good and feel good, and he made the whole world to reflect what it's like to be with God, which is joyful and happy. And in Genesis 3, sin comes in and destroys one of the key relationships that expresses what it's like to live with God, the relationship between uh, men and women, specifically men and women, generally marriage specifically. It fractures right down the middle of that. And then you get to Genesis 6, and you see in Noah how God is, is angry with the way sin has so corrupted the place and culture that he lives that people just basically think of sin all the time. And so the flood is God's response to judging. You can't just live in unending sin all the time. So that's a second judgment. Then when we get to here, this is the end of the kind of this first book section You might call this the first season in Genesis, Genesis 10 and 11. There is a a national level of the way sin and death expresses itself that God judges. What we look at here in Genesis 10 is, um, it's like if you were to say, like, so-and-so, they broke up, and then you talk about how they broke up. Like, Genesis 10 is all the nations got dispersed, and then Genesis 11 is how we got there. So it's actually, chronologically, the story is reversed. So Genesis 11 is going to be how we got to all these nations, Genesis 10 is an important chapter for us understanding how does God think about the world and nations and people and diversity and all that stuff. It's the beginning of it. It's certainly not the way the whole Bible, what, everything the Bible has to say about it. So here's what we're going to do. Um, by the way, uh, just so you're aware, um, if you have questions, as usual, you can text those to me. Those, uh, that comes straight to my phone, and I will answer those right after uh, the sermon. Happy to engage with those. So here's what I want to do. I want to point out our main, main point of what we're looking at here in Genesis 10 and then we're going to start kind of breaking it down to see how this develops, okay? Main point of what I see going on in Genesis 10 is that it is a call for us to pursue God's expansive heart for all humanity to be in his son's kingdom. Genesis 10 is about all these nations and it is ultimately how to pursue God's expansive heart for all humanity to be in his son's kingdom. So... We're going to look at here a little bit of some backdrop before we jump into Genesis 10. We'll look at our expanding humanity, right? We want to look at expanding as a good thing, and we can look at this list and think everything about this list is bad, and that's not really what we're supposed to see here. Genesis chapter 1, it says the following, God created man in his own image, in the image of God who created a male and female. He created them, and God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and every living thing that moves on the earth. What we looked at when we we looked at those verses is basically, this is God saying, take Eden and expand it to the whole world. Make this whole place look like God lives here, right? Edenize all of creation. Be a part of spreading that all everywhere. And then after the flood, Genesis chapter 9, God restates this even after he's flooded the whole thing. God blessed Noah and his sons and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, and you be fruitful and multiply, increase greatly on the earth and multiply in it. Now, when we look at these verses, this is kind of the backdrop for what we see here in Genesis 10, because God has said to humanity, I want you to take all that you are and expand it everywhere. Now, if we just kind of follow that out naturally, like inherently, that means people are going to have eventually their own cultures, languages, nations, like that's not a problem, like it's inherent. Like the fact that like, bro, the fact that I live on the east side of Manchester versus the west side of Manchester, are like two different cultures. They kind of relate to each other. And then you think about like, if you ever live down south or you're from another part of the country, like I, uh, I lived for a little while down south and you know, they have the southern accent. We don't have that here. We talk differently, even between one region of the country and the same. Uh, even with the same language. So to fulfill and be faithful to Genesis, what God designed for us to be in Genesis 1, is inherently, there's going to be differences that develop over time. The fact that, you know, people who live, cultures and ethnicities who live closer to the equator have darker skin as a way of, you know, the whole sunburn thing, and the people, the rest of us who not close to the equator, sunburn very easily when we go to the beach. Those sort of things. None of that stuff is sinful or wrong or even bad. It, that, that's not even in close to God's design. God's design is for humanity to expand and express itself and find diversity as it, it takes what God has designed for us to be and see it throughout the whole world. We even see that here in a certain sense, the way these these nations get divided up. Each one, and so he kind of closes off with this statement, verse 5, for these are the coastlands people spread in their lands, each with their own language, by their clans and their nations." And then verse 20, these are the sons of Ham by their clans, their languages, their lands, and their nations. And then down in verse 31 and 32, these are the sons of Shem and their clans, and their languages, and their lands, and their nations. These are the clans of the sons of Noah according to their genealogies and their nations, and from these the nations spread abroad on the earth after the flood. See, that is not bad. The fact that there is diversity different cultures nations languages that's not the problem it's so much not the problem that when you get to the very end of the book you can flip ahead and see the end of the story in this whole book you look at the book of Revelation what do you find being celebrated and brought before the risen Christ in his kingdom every tribe and nation and people and language you even have cultures and kings and governments bringing all of their good things into Jesus kingdom so the fact that there's diversity in different nations and languages is a part of God's celebrated purpose for humanity, right? That, that's a part that's built into the program, so to speak. It's good. So when we look at this list, there's a part of this list, what's the part that God is displeased with? What's the part that God is unhappy with that ultimately leads to the breakup that we read about next chapter, Genesis 11? What's going on with that? That's what we want to look at. So, as we kind of establish that the part of this chapter that we don't need to take away from this is everybody has different nationalities and ethnicities and cultures and languages, and that's sinful and wrong, and we should all have one. That's not what this chapter is about. The diversity is built into the nature of what it means to be human. How we get there, that's that's the problem. So we want to pick up here, I'm gonna second point what we want to look at is our fractured humanity. And I want to focus in for you here, we kind of read about him a little bit, but I want to focus in on verses 8 to 12 here in chapter 10. This is going to kind of be the key to unlock what's going on that's a problem in this passage. So you have the coastline peoples, those are the sons of Ham, I'm sorry, Jephthah, those are the the beach guys, they all, you know, uh, shipping, receiving, all that sort of stuff. Shem... The end of the, the chapter, that's all the guys that are the good guys are blessed. And then you have all these guys who are Ham's friends or family. And these are all, if you paid attention, if you know anything about the rest of the Bible story, these are all the bad guys that Israel has to deal with for the rest of the Bible. So you have Egypt, you have Canaan, you have the Philistines, you have Babel, which is next chapter, you have uh, Sodom and Gomorrah, you have all of these major bad guys that are all a part of this. Uh, This list. And right smack dab in the middle of that is verses um, 8 through 12. So let's just read this real quick. Cush father Nimrod, he was the first on earth to be a mighty man. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. Therefore it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. It's kind of a proverbial phrase. The beginning of his kingdom was Babel, Erech, Akkad, Kalna, in the land of Shinar. From there, from that land, he went into Assyria, Another uh, big baddie for God's people. Uh, built Nineveh, uh, Rohaboth, Ir, Kala, Resin, between the Nineveh and Kala. These are the great, um, and this is the great city. Uh, Nimrod, by the way, the first time I ever heard this name or term, uh, Green, Day's, Green Day's third album, second album, I can't remember. Came out in like 97, 98, something like that. So Nimrod is this main character here, and his name, first of all, there's like six things I want to point out here to help us understand why he's kind of a main figure here. Nimrod, his name means, I rebel, right? His name means, we shall rebel. It is a rebellion against God himself, right? His name is built in, um, I'm a bad guy. Second thing, when it says um, he was a mighty man or a mighty hunter, that's the same phrase that was used over in Genesis 6 about the Nephilim. The Nephilim were these major uh, forces that God was opposed to. They were mighty men. So he is identified as being one of the Nephilim after the flood, um, a major opposition figure to God. Uh, In ancient Near East cultures, one scholar comments, kings prided themselves on their hunting prowess. They were not shepherd kings. They were powerful kings. So they prided themselves on exercising power, which is then the third thing I want to comment on. Verse 9, when it says before the Lord, when we read that, we kind of read like, oh, the Lord liked him. Well, it was really just basically saying, like, when it says that phrase before the Lord, it's basically saying even God himself saw this was a mighty, powerful tyrant. Like, the phrasing being used here is a tyrant language. He's a tyrant before the Lord, and God sees it. And so when it says, like, a proverbial phrase like, um, you know, uh, the proverbial phrase like, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord, You know, just like any sort of like proverbial phrase that we'll say like about any other bad people that we don't like. You know, um, he's just like so-and-so or whatever. Um, Basically, God sees him as a tyrant and a warrior um, that is to be feared. The Fourth thing I just want to comment, Nimrod's kingdom was built on his power and aggression to dominate other people and call them into his kingdom building. Right, did you notice that right he was a mighty hunter before the Lord the beginning of his kingdom uh, was from Babel onto these other lands from that land he went into Assyria and built Nineveh the language here is that of a conquest somebody who's going about and dominating other people you think of like how Russia is trying to just basically take land from Ukraine right now it's that sort of like are they being aggressive sure but it's a tyrannical like I'm going to bring you into my kingdom sort of power complex he is, verse, the fifth thing I just want to point out here is you'll notice, we've read it a couple times here. He's the father of Babel. Babel is this big tower that we're going to read about next week that is um, people basically building a tower to pretend like we can have heaven on earth on our own terms and we don't need all those gods. They're just going to obey us. We'll get to that next week. But that's what P- Babel is about. And that was his idea, Nimrod's idea. Sixth thing is that just to point out, Nimrod built cities, Noah that whom God loves builds an altar. God loves when people come to Him in worshipful dependence on Him, and Nimrod is typifying how all of these con- these nations get to where they are by saying, "I'm going to bring diverse countries and nations and all that stuff about for me." Right? Nimrod just basically, at the end of the day, is basically building a kingdom for himself. He loves his name. He wants to be known. He's, he was so focused on being known that his name did become a proverb. Right? Everybody knows his name now because of at least how they wrote it at the time. He is hellbent on having kingdoms and nations and cities and countries built for his fame and his glory. This is, you might say, this is the beginning of a third fracture, the third fall in the book of Genesis. So that verse 25, like I noted up here, to Eber were born two sons. The name of one of them was Pelag. For in his days, the earth was divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. So, so much was the earth being fractured and divided by this insistence on power and dominance for their kingdom building that people started naming their kids. (laughs) This is Division. This is my son, Division. Division's a great boy. This is my my daughter. Um, Whatever that illustration. St. Augustine, a theolog- uh, an African theologian from the fourth century, probably the most important theologian in all of church history, in his main book, um, The City of God, he says this. We see that there are two cities that were created by two kinds of love. The earthly city was created by self-love reaching the point of contempt for God. The heavenly city by the love of God Carried as far as contempt for self. In fact, the earthly city glories in itself. The heavenly city glories in the Lord. Here we have the very seeds of what we might call the kingdom of self in Genesis 10. The diversity is great. Different countries, different nations, different languages. That's all. Jesus loves that stuff so much that he brings it into his new kingdom. But it's this love of self, this power to dominate, this power to tyrannize others, this power to enforce your control over other people, that is the kingdom of self that has its roots here in this fracture of humanity in Genesis 10. This is where we find all of the divisions that just so frustrate us now. I mean, think of all the ways in which we talk about we're divided as a country, divided as a community, blah, blah, blah. Whatever, whatever the assessment of those things are, those things, the love of self is somehow at the root of them, and it finds its seed here in Genesis 10. This is why is why Russia is trying to take over Ukraine, because it is trying to build a kingdom for itself. And that's not to defend anybody, but just to comment and say, this is the kingdom of self that has been such a major problem for all of our, all of our lives, for all of human history. Right, you think of James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you, that you desire and do not have, so you murder? You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask, and you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Right, Nimrod typifies The ways in which all of these nations fracture and humanity is divided among itself because we are secretly in our own hearts seeking to build a kingdom for ourselves and the kingdom of self is deeply entrenched so what I want to point out here is that this is the state of the world that that God engages with so where where does God go with this? what does this lead God to do? So that's what we're going to look at here, the final kind of point section that we want to pick up on. We want to look at just, just a broad category, and we're going to kind of go from Genesis 10 through the rest of the Bible real quick. God's mission for all humanity. Deuteronomy 32 has um, Moses, as he's leading people into the promised land to receive God's inheritance for them, he basically preaches a sermon about all this stuff. And this is a section from that sermon that it, I think you'll hear Genesis 10 in it remember the days of old consider the many the years of many generations ask your father and he will show you your elders and they will tell you when the Most high gave to the nations their inheritance when he divided mankind when he fixed the borders of the people according to the number of the sons of God but the Lord's portion is his people Jacob is allotted inherit his, his allotted heritage right you'll notice What's a nation that's missing from this list? Right, Israel is missing. Israel comes out of this list. But this list is basically what this is talking about. When, when When God says, I divided the nations, I gave them over to what they wanted. They wanted division. They wanted the kingdom of self. They wanted their own place and their own kind of tyrannical purpose. And so God gives them over to that. But what does God do? He keeps for himself a people that are his own possession. Right, these are going to be my people that... Uh, They don't really look very uh, compelling. (laughs) Um, They're a bunch of sheep herders from the desert. There's nothing really special about them, but I like them, and these are my peeps. And then you tell through the whole of the rest of the Old Testament how God's people gets banged on and abused and dominated and conquered and then given over to, and they enjoy the dominance of these other countries that are listed as the baddies in this list, and yet they are preserved as being God's people because God is with them all through the story. So 72, this number, is kind of used through the, New, through the Old Testament in a few places and then in the New Testament to kind of communicate God's purposes for his people amongst the nations. So you have Moses and I think Numbers, and numbers 11 when he has to divide. All right, this government system's getting getting too, too big for me to handle one person. He has 72 elders that he gives, hey, these guys are going to help me out as kind of a picture of God's kingdom really is for all nations, for all these people. And then you have Jesus in Luke chapter 10 where he has 72 disciples that he calls to him. He sends out go tell them about who I am. Call them into repentance, into my kingdom. And what do they find? They cast out demons. They healed people. They came back. And then what happens after that? Jesus walks up a hill and he shows them his true glory of who he is. So then, we have in the book of Acts something I want to kind of draw our attention to. You guys, are we cool? Chilling out? All right. Acts chapter 2, I want to show you a couple maps. You guys cool to look at a few maps? I know this is like geography lesson Sunday, but like, you guys cool with some maps? This is Genesis 10's table of nations. Man, that does not show up very well on the screen. I promise there's words there. I don't know if you can see with all the glare. You guys cool? That's 72 nations that are all spread across the, you know, North Africa, the Arabian Desert, that sort of geography of the world right there. And then I want to read a list for you here. In Acts chapter 2, it's right after Jesus has been raised from the dead. Peter gets up, gives a sermon, and what happens? Acts chapter 2. Can we go over to that slide here? I think I have it in here. Acts chapter 2. And they were amazed, right? All these people who were hearing um, god 's people speak in tongues and pr- praise God, and they were amazed and astonished, saying, "Are not all those who are speaking Galileans, and how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and resident, um, and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Pergia and Pthia Pathelia, Hamphilia um, Egyptian uh, Egypt and parts of uh, Libya belonging to uh, Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling of our own tongues the mighty works of God. Right? So can we go over to the next slide? Like, Remember where that, that boot is? This is where all those nations are. right? That's where all these lists of people is, are. And many scholars just basically think that that list of what we just read is just a summary list of the table of nations from Genesis 10. So when God's people first experience the spirit and they tell the world about who Jesus is, literally in terms of like the Bible story, the nations were all there to hear it. They were all there in the room hearing like, hey, we hear this in our own language. And then we look over and we see, look, there's a bunch of 72 other different cultures that are represented here. It's kind of the picture of what's being portrayed here is God's people is... God's kingdom is built for all different nations and countries and ethnicities and languages to hear him, worship him, and enjoy him. That's the purpose of what Jesus has accomplished, to make us all one in him. So one thing I just want to tug on in the book of Acts, and then we'll kind of delve into some some final thoughts on this. Uh, If you remember the book of Romans, at the end of the book of Romans, Paul says basically, I'm going to come to you at Rome because I've got to get to Spain for God's mission. i got to go tell people in Spain about what God is doing. Now, why does Paul, and, and the early church, by the way, early church, large, the large sections of the early church attested to the fact that when Paul died, he probably died doing missionary work out in Spain. So can we put that final, there we go, Paul's mission, Hispania, Spain, so if you just think about like, all these other nations over here that have been reached by the gospel mission through the book of Acts, they've all been reached in one way or the other. This kind of part of the, the continent, all over the, the Italian boot, you know, you get the boot and the, the soccer ball that's kicking right there. All of these places have been reached or, been, or talked about in one way or the other. So why is Paul fixated on Spain? Because the other word for Spain is Tarshish from Genesis 10, verse 5. And Paul, in his mind, looks at Genesis 10 and says, this is the roadmap for making sure that the world knows that Jesus is king and that we're all one in him. That's why Paul has to go to Spain. Because he says, I want to make sure that the whole world knows that Jesus has saved us and made us one in him. And there is a new humanity in him. So let me just kind of comment here. This Jesus, when he looks at the nations, he loves the diversity. He loves the different languages and nations and tribes. What he hates is the tyranny and dominance and power and control that we love to use to create divisions and differences. So, when the gospel comes, Galatians 6, I'm sorry, Galatians 3, For in Christ you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Therefore is there neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male or female, for you're all one in Christ. It is not that those things don't matter. Obviously, when we talk about coming into Christ, we're not saying get rid of being male or female, or your ethnic background, or your language background, or anything like that. What it's saying is that those things do not count as tokens of power to have one-ups with God. God comes down and takes on human flesh. Jesus spoke a language that none of us speak. (laughs) He lived in a context that none of us live in. And yet it is in him, through faith in him, that the divisions between us and God, the divisions between us and each other, find their healing through somebody who gives themselves out of love for others. You notice that Jesus is the opposite of Nimrod. Nimrod comes in to dominate and control and direct and tell people what to do. And Jesus comes in as a servant who gives himself for us. He guides us in the way of life and empowers us by his death and resurrection to follow him and enjoy him. So when it comes to following what this means for us in our lives today, Jesus at the beginning of his sermon on the Mount, I think gives us a pathway forward. He says... Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. God himself is in the business of repairing fractures. God himself is in the business of repairing death and sin and division. God himself is in the business of what we call mercy and grace. And so as we experience divisions in our lives, difficulties, tyrants, the ways in which we reflect God's mission for us is by taking on a heart like God Himself, to be a peacemaker that works to heal divisions. You guys ever are you familiar with the Japanese art form of kintsugi? You know what I'm talking about broken porcelain artifact that then is repaired, not to smooth over the, the fractures, but actually to highlight. The goodness of the fractures with gold in between to repair what was broken through this gold in it. So you see these incredible artifacts with that were beautiful, and not only, and then they're made more beautiful by being repaired with this incredible artist's work. That's what our lives are supposed to be like. We are to bring these broken pieces of our lives back together to see the fractures be healed, not through us being the gold. That's not the point of the illustration, but to see how Jesus repairs and renews us and makes us whole again in himself, and somehow we're a better humanity for it. In the mystery of how God works, I don't understand it, but somehow amidst these fractures that we see in Genesis 10, they are repaired and made new, and we are made into a better humanity through Jesus repairing our fractures. What are those relationships and places in your life where there is tension and division? that you can step into and pray for God's heart to be a peacemaker, to say, how can I lay myself down? How can I let go of my power? How can I let go of my agenda to be somebody who brings peace and restoration and grace in the situation? I think, and it's the phone book of Genesis 10, this grand story of what God does in Jesus, this passage calls us to pursue God's expansive heart for all humanity to be in his son's kingdom. So let's pray. God, as we've looked at this passage and considered what it means for us today, there are many names that I've certainly mispronounced and that we need your help to understand. And yet, in the midst of this, is one God who continues to oversee all people that they would be renewed in Jesus. So I pray that you would help us to walk in his path today.